Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. So in this episode, I got to talk to the lovely Dr. Kit Latham. Kit is the co-founder of an organisation called Credentially. They operate in the health tech space. They are a startup and they are supporting organisations to onboard their clinicians and healthcare workers in a timely and efficient way. In this interview, Kit shares the journey that has led to what credentially looks like today. And I often say this on the podcast, I think it's really important for leaders to share that the path to success is not always smooth. And we all have those annoying, frustrating, costly and valuable character building lessons learnt, which enables us to operate in the space we are today. And you kind of you need the lows to experience the highs. What was really nice about this interview was that Kit spoke often about culture and the organisation's ethos and in response to COVID they gave their platform, they gave their application for free to an organisation to onboard 3,000 clinicians and how he talks about his team and his co-founder and how they operate. It sounds like a really sounds like a lovely culture and I think it sounds like a culture they have been very intentional about building. We touch on um, in this interview that in the past, Credentially had to be really proactive in attracting funds to build the organisation. But recently, investors have been proactive in contacting Credentially. It must be so, so exciting. So as always, it's another good one. I know that you're going to enjoy it and I would love it if you could like and share this episode on social media and hop over to iTunes to give the podcast a five star rating and review. And I will see you in the next episode. Hi, Kit. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm I'm great, thank you. So I was just saying that um, I see you guys pop up on my social media quite a lot now. And I think it'd just be really helpful uh, for those people that may not be aware of Credentially and what you guys do to give us a bit of an intro, sharing your career and more about your organisation. Sure, yeah. Um, so we set up Credentially because uh, I, I worked as a doctor and you know all my friends were doctors, nurses, uh, health professionals. Um, and we found that even though the, the time of healthcare professionals is very valuable, and I think we see that more than ever with COVID, often you find yourself as a health professional wasting a lot of time, um, either on paperwork or data entry or on slow processes. Um, and I found that personally very frustrating. And so we set up Credentially really 
um, with the aim of allowing caregivers to spend as little time on paperwork and data entry as possible, and as much time treating patients as they could. And, and the way that we do that um, is by automating the process of sign-up, verification, and onboarding uh, to a new clinical role um, using software. So um, to give you kind of a concrete example, uh, if you want to start work as a care worker or a doctor or a nurse at one of the employers using Credentially, you can sign up in a few minutes using a smartphone, taking photos of the documents that you have or uploading them from your computer. Uh, we automatically scan those documents for you. Uh, we independently verify any that we can. Uh, we will do automated checks on uh, various professional registration databases. We'll gather references all really in the service of freeing up as much of your time as possible um, and also helping employers to reduce their paperwork burden. What led you to this? So I'm, uh, I was working in accident and emergency, uh, which I really loved, um, but I personally am somewhat of an impatient person. Um, I really enjoyed the, the patient work that I was doing, but anyone who's worked in healthcare clinically and, and also operationally, I think, knows that the software in healthcare in general is about 15 years behind where it is in other consumer industries. And so um, I found myself, you know, when I first started medicine, I was entering blood results onto a computer that didn't even have a mouse. Uh, and so <laughs> I, was, uh, I was frustrated by that. And, and also, you know, I, I was really interested in, uh, in, in technology and, and how technology can be used to uh, improve the way we do things. You know, my favorite definition of, of technology is, uh, technology is just a better way of doing something. So, you know, if you're, trying to get coconuts out of a tree using just your hand, then a stick is technology. And, and so really what, what led me on this journey was knowing that people are currently in situations that are, you know, without being hyperbolic, that are sometimes life or death. Uh, and they find themselves um, using, using technology or tools that, that slows them down. And, and we approach that from a HR point of view. So, you know, we're not at the sharp end. Um, but I think in general, uh, the thing that I'm excited about is, uh, really focusing on the areas that uh, are taking up caregivers' time and then seeing what technology can be used to release that uh, back to patient care. Why do you think large organisations or even small large um, healthcare organisations from an NHS perspective um, are not thinking, how could we be more efficient? Why have we got computers that don't have mouses? Is there a better way of doing it? <laughs> you know, I think um, a lot of work has gone into this recently. The, the government commissioned the WACTA review, which looked at the way that IT was handled in the NHS in general um, and made a, a lot of recommendations. And, and on the back of that, uh, now lots of hospitals have a chief clinical information officer. So someone who typically has worked clinically that's involved in the commissioning and provisioning of, of digital systems. Um, because, you know, if, if, if let's say if you're working in A&E, you might take blood tests uh, or request um, investigations for, you know, 13 patients a shift, whatever. If that takes 10 minutes rather than two minutes, uh, the, the accrued time that that costs you is really valuable. But if you're just buying that service and you've never worked clinically, you might not realize the need to have um, efficiency around those kind of really critical frequent operations that you do. And so... I think the NHS has gotten a lot better at that. I think also, you know, healthcare is a really difficult market for technology providers to enter into. You know, it's um, it's very highly regulated, quite rightly, um, and the sales cycles for you know selling to the NHS can take seven years to, for for a technology provider. So I think 
that's part of the reason why you don't see the intense competition that leads to really beautifully designed services um, in other industries that might be sort of seem trivial, you know, things like gaming, um, online retail, uh, even gambling, so much work goes into making that user experience incredibly fast and slick. You know, I think there's a famous uh, study, Amazon found that for every extra click uh, that a customer had to go through from having the intent to purchase something to actually making a purchase, they were seeing something like a 15% decrease in successfully completed sales. So, you know, they invented one-click ordering. And really that insight is just about process optimization. But but to have that, you really need to have a, uh, a good cycle of iteration. And the reason that, you know, most people, I think, when they go and see their GP or when they're in hospital and they see the systems that people are using and they look kind of, you know, pretty crazily outdated. That's, that's the reason why is it takes so long to sell and the contracts tend to be very, very long for infrastructure software. So um, there isn't that kind of rapid cycle of iteration that you see in industries where it's easier to um, quickly stand up a new product. How many people work in your organisation? So we have uh, 32 people working in our organisation. Uh, the majority of them are in the product product team. So um, there are either developers or, or um, product specialists. And then we also have people that help us to uh, support our customers to set up uh, new organisations that want to use the product and then also to help us uh, get the word out there and, and sell the product. And you're the CEO. That's right. Yeah. Um, with my co-founder and a close friend, uh, Artem, um, I actually, it was funny, I met him uh, I was working in A&E part-time and I decided to go and do this master's uh, in technology entrepreneurship at UCL. Um, I'd seen that uh, a few cool companies had come out of uh, the program that they did there. And so I did a, a master's part-time whilst working in A&E and met Artem, who uh, was this sort of genius uh, Belarusian software engineer. He'd worked on the international bone marrow donor matching algorithm, um, which is a really cool piece of technology, uh, as well as working for electronic patient record software companies. Um, And so we actually just really bonded, kind of, I guess, bitching about electronic (laughs) patient record systems and how poorly designed they were. And um, yeah, it was just like, it was clear really early on, we, we cared about the same things. And, you know, he's rarely for a, for an engineer, he's got an incredible eye for, for design and aesthetics. And so, it was very important to him that everything that he made was very slick, very easy to use um, and, and sort of looked and felt beautiful for the user. And so I think hopefully that's reflected in our in our product. Has your friendship ever got in the way of the business? No, I think I think the opposite. You know, I, I think it's the hardest. Well, I don't want to say the hardest thing in the world, you know, compared to working in A&E, what I'm doing is um, is is not hard, but um, it's not it's not an easy thing to set up a startup and and take on that risk and you know build something from nothing and having him as a friend uh as opposed to just sort of you know an employee relationship or you know he's he's my co-founder we have an equal shareholding in the company we we have kind of equal esteem my title is ceo and his title is cto but um it's an even hierarchy between us and now I, I think the fact that we've been friends has has really helped with that and you know I don't want to say it's always been easy because it hasn't I think in all kind of difficult endeavors friendships and relationships can sometimes be tested but I'm happy to say that other than the odd disagreement about kind of design or the way we approach certain kind of business challenges now it's been uh, it's been fantastic working with them. Cool I know no week is the same but can you give us an overview of what you've been up to this week? Yeah, sure. Um, so this week, uh, we were asked by a large private health organization to pilot the system 
in uh, a couple of their UK hospitals. Um, and so we were meeting with their team uh, over Zoom because uh, that's the brave new world we live in um, to, to learn more about their existing process, to map that out, uh, to set that up. Uh, I also every week do uh, one-on-ones with all of my team. So uh, kind of meet everyone and talk about what they've been doing. Obviously, that's really important at the moment because we're all working remotely. We have taken on two new uh, members of staff who are helping us with operations who are really great. One of them, a guy called Henry Carlton, who's also a former A&E doctor. He set up and sold a, a similar kind of company that made software uh, to help with HR and healthcare. Um, and so it's really great to have his experience on the team. Now, he'd previously been on our board and he decided to join the senior management team. So it's been very cool working with him and Chris, our new operations manager. Um, we're also looking to get some uh, additional capacity to do things like marketing and outreach. Um, so we've been uh, talking to uh, the people that we're going to work with uh, on that front. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a varied varied week, a lot of time talking to people. You know, we sort of say internally that our time is best spent building products and talking to people that are going to use them. And uh, yeah, this week was no exception. Will you stay um, virtual or will, when you can, will you go back into your office? It's a really good question, you know. I, I, I was very sceptical of, of my own ability to work <laughs> from home just because I think part of my kind of temperament, that A&E temperament is, you know, the, the best thing about a is you go in dressed as you are normally, you put on your scrubs, you go in there and if it's sort of, you know, bleeding or screaming or you, you've got to go and see to it, you deal with it. And then once that case is closed, you put it down, you never think of it again, rather than, you know, general practice or managing a ward full of patients where there's that kind of constant background consideration. And so I find it personally, I like the idea of going into somewhere and, you know, when you're at work, you're at work and when you're not at work, you're not at work. I mean, obviously, you can't really ever turn it off. I'm sure, you know, you know, with your business and the podcast, you're kind of always thinking about it, whatever happens. But um, I was worried, basically, because, you know, when you have the odd day, we think, oh, I'll work from home. Maybe you don't feel great. Maybe for whatever reason, you have to stay and look after a sick pet or see the boiler man or whatever. And if I'm perfectly frank with you, my, my productivity working from home was has not been amazing in, in, uh, in the past where I felt like I had a choice. Um, but now it's just become uh, like the the thing that you do every day. It's actually been great. You know, I've got an extra hour every day where I'm not commuting. Uh, my stress level is very low. I do miss the, you know, I miss the team. I miss hanging out with them and socializing. So we're actually, we hold a, a digital happy hour, which I'm going to after this, uh, where we sort of all sit and uh, drink. Drink. Whatever <laughs> we, we would drink, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, and just sort of, you know, chat and hang out. And I think that's super important. But we're actually considering now, you know, we had an office in South London and we're considering now whether or not we want to have the same structure of, you know, we have an office, everyone goes in there from, you know, nine to five or 10 to six or whatever. Or if we want to have the... Uh, the understanding that most people will work remotely most of the time, but then we'll have the, um, you know, we'll have a space that we can go and do kind of two days worth of team based activities in. Yeah, I was the same. Um, I'm at home at the moment, but I do have my office and I'm like, I really like it, but I don't need it. I'll tell you what, I mean, this is a bit of an aside, but I genuinely think that this, um, you know, pandemic, which is obviously a terrible tragedy that's sort of fallen us, but it's, 
it's already changing the world so dramatically. I mean, so the majority of the, let's call them challenger health providers, so people that are sort of digital health providers, online app-based health providers, use our product and they use it to register their, their doctors, nurses, care workers. And so we actually have a fairly good understanding of how the sector is doing, how it's growing. We've seen since this started, those providers have grown by about 40%, which is, wow. it's remarkable, yeah. And, you know, just talking to kind of friends anecdotally that are seeing patients on an outpatient basis, the majority of outpatient appointments that people have with hospital specialists, they don't have an examination. So, you know, it'll be going through results, it'll be commissioning tests, it'll be talking to people. And so a lot of them are saying, you know, we're doing all these outpatient appointments remotely now. Obviously, some, you know, will need to examine people and will need to be in hospital. But I think the this this some of these changes will be will be permanent you know people have demonstrated that they're happy to provide care remotely that they're happy to receive care remotely and just this idea that we all have to go and be in the same place every day arbitrarily i think that kind of illusion has been been broken and i think similarly with london i was reading a piece today about the sort of exodus of startups from london which is obviously you know it's a wonderful city and it's it's given us incredible opportunity but it's also not a cheap place uh, either yeah. to live or to run a business. I'm glad in one sense that I'm not uh, a London landlord right now because uh, <laughs> I think if I had a lot of office buildings that I was supposed to be leasing, I mean, don't get me wrong, if I, I, I wouldn't say no if someone went and offered me a load of London office buildings, but um, I, I think there will be a, a re-evaluation that people do about where they want to live, how they want to work. And unfortunately, you know, for, for healthcare workers, they often don't have that choice. But uh, as part of our response to covid we decided that we wanted to volunteer our technology for anyone that needed to build an emergency workforce just because, you know, we, we make, uh, and I'm hopefully not being hyperbolic when I, when I say this, but we make the fastest way to hire, verify and onboard a clinician that's currently available in the UK. And so um, when we knew that this was, when it was clear that it was, you know, obviously uh, going to be a pandemic and uh, that, that a lot of extra healthcare was going to be required, we volunteered publicly and said, if there's any uh, NHS organization that needs to build an emergency workforce, uh, you can use our technology and our team for free. And so we ended up working with the COVID Clinical Assessment Service, which is a national organization that allows patients who are concerned about COVID symptoms to connect with a GP via using their phone. And so we helped them to register 3,000 GPs in three weeks, um, from GPs that were currently working to GPs that had previously retired. And it's interesting because, you know, I did a lot of those verification calls myself and, you know, talking to those GPs, particularly the retired ones who now realize, actually, there is a, a way that I can provide care remotely that doesn't put me at risk of contracting COVID, which, you know, now we know, I think if you're over 65, the chances of you dying are sort of a, a hundredfold higher than if you're a, sort of a, a younger person. So um, I think that certainly for people that are considering retiring, which, you know, is many GPs kind of taking early retirement at the moment. Uh, I'm hopeful that we can release some of that really valuable uh, experience and capacity back into the health system by allowing them to work flexibly and remotely. Yeah, I think I think the world has changed. It has. How long have you been in business for? So um, we've been in business since uh, 2016. We started the company in uh, April 2016. Has COVID made you think about your own product? I remember when we spoke offline, you talked about setting the standard and quality and innovation. Have you, has COVID created an opportunity for you to think, could we diversify? Actually, we thought it was slick before, but actually it can be better because if you're 3,000 people in one hit, 
would highlight potentially some inefficiencies? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it certainly helped us to improve our product. There's nothing like getting thousands of you know users on your product and telling you, we, we make it very easy to connect to our support. So anyone using our product at any time can click help and they're connected with us live. And so particularly, you know, consultants and, and retired GPs, they do not hold back. So if, uh, if they find something inefficient or confusing, they're very they're excellent user testers. In the same way, I'm an excellent user tester because I'm very impatient. And I don't read things thoroughly. So, um, you know, when I'm using a, when I'm using a product, and so it's, it's actually helped us dramatically improve our product. I mean, even in the last, I would say, two months, we've probably improved our user experience by 60%. Um, based on the the feedback scores that we gather and the um, the, the number of requests uh, for support that we get, so I think yeah, it's definitely helped us to pressure test our system to really improve the UX, which was already something that we kind of had prioritised. I think also now there is just a general understanding that remote care is not just possible but necessary. That the government quite sensibly in the the coronavirus act or exactly what it was called, but changed the way that healthcare providers had to verify uh, clinical staff under the terms of the Health and Social Care Act. So uh, previously, it had been sort of the law that all health providers had to see all documentation in hard copy, both for a uh, an enhanced DBS check uh, and also to verify the identity of a, of a clinician. Obviously, that's a very good counter-fraud measure, but the the sensible trade-off that was made against, you know, the need to firstly release this these people that want to work um, back into the health system and also to do that in a way that minimizes the bottleneck and prevents them from being exposed potentially to, to COVID has meant that for the first time, you know, someone can truly uh, remotely onboard, verify and, and sign up a healthcare worker. And so, you know, our system is is designed very much with that in mind. Uh, and so for us, it's, it's uh, really allowed as to kind of unleash the potential of our product in quite an exciting way. I'm not sure how it works. So you've had investment. It is a, a really difficult time, but there are some industries and organisations thriving. They're just lucky to be where they are. Investors looking at them thinking like, wow, they've managed to do this in a few weeks. Um, you'd be very attractive to more investment. How does that work? Do you go out to the investors or do they people just approach you? <laughs> you know, it's a funny uh, it's a funny question. So the, the first investment we got was from um, UCL. We did a, a business competition there uh, called the Bright Ideas Award, which we won. And they gave us a grant of £10,000. And the, the second investment we got, we applied for an accelerator program called uh, Techstars. With that, they took some equity in the company and, and gave us some investment. And, and following that, we did a crowdfunding round where we went out to uh, tell people about what we were doing. Um, lots of doctors invested, which was really great kind of feedback for us but it was very much led by us you know we were having to go out meet lots of people advertise and we're not sort of actively fundraising right now but uh, for the first time I actually have sort of investors somehow finding my personal number and calling me up and uh, <laughs> and sending me emails and saying saying things so it's, it's obviously an interesting time and, a, and unfortunately a terrible time for many startups that are working in retail and, and consumer and it's uh it certainly, I think, represents a changed economy. But, you know, it's a fairly safe bet, I would imagine, for an investor that digital healthcare is here to stay. It's it's going to grow now in a way that it hasn't done previously, just because um, in the same way that we all know now that meetings aren't really necessary when we can do everything over Zoom, the appetite for kind of remote-based care is here to stay. And so because we primarily service 
that industry as well as other traditional health providers. But it's also a fairly safe bet that, you know, the, the potential uh, market for our product is going to increase. And so we, yeah, we have had some inbound interest, which has been lovely. But also, you know, we, we work now with, with great uh, investors that one is a family office, one's a, a VC firm that's focused on doing uh, investments that have some kind of social benefit, um, which, you know, is very much a part of our mission. Uh, and so they've sort of uh, said that they're interested in our next uh, round, which is which is great. So it sounds like you've had a swimmingly perfect journey. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, very much no. OK, so could you share like a real challenge? When I ask people this question, I'll be like, oh, it was not very good for a week. And now it's all fine. No, well, we always knew that we wanted to save caregivers time. And that was the value that we create. And we wanted to commercialize that. And the tool we were going to do that with was software. Um, but there's lots of ways that you could approach that. And so um, initially, what we tried to do was still focused on HR, but it was more focused around kind of rostering. So um, under the new junior doctor's contract uh, that was negotiated to the outrage of many in the profession in 2016, all junior doctors in England were going to be, uh, well, were mandated to record their hours and breaks uh, wherever they had diverged from uh, what they should be working. So, for example, uh, when I started work in my first year of working as a clinician, I worked on a an elderly medicine ward uh, that had, I think it should have had seven doctors, uh, it had three. And so the time that you were sort of rostered to come in and the breaks that you should have had and the time that you should have finished really were kind of immaterial just because you had the work that had to get done and you know it, it, that was what kind of determined how long you would stay there and so the, the process that was used to monitor whether or not you were working too long was called diary card monitoring it would happen every uh, two weeks every year people would just write down when they came into work when they finished if they missed their breaks if they missed their training opportunities uh, and and that meant from that people could calculate you know were these uh, rotors safe was the hours that people were being contracted for actually reflective of what they were doing and under the 2016 renegotiation of the junior doctor's contract that was changed from a fixed point in time to just a daily obligation so if you're a doctor and you miss a break or if you finish work you know 17 minutes late or 2 hours late or 4 hours late you are expected to uh, report that to your uh, educational supervisor or to someone in your hospital, the, the guardian of safe working hours is what it was called. And the processes that were being put in place for that at the time were not exactly slick. So one, for example, it was a, a big teaching hospital trust that I won't name. Uh, they were asking people to download a PDF from their servers to print that off, to complete it. And it was a uh, complete it in full. And it was a long PDF that had more fields in it than were strictly necessary then to scan it and then to email it along with a covering note to the clinical supervisor and educational supervisor. And so that was, you know, if you miss your 15 minute break or if you, you know, you, you have to start work early or finish late. The last thing you want to do is a process that took, I mean, we, we did a time and motion study, but it was between sort of 15 and 25 minutes. And so we made an app that would allow any junior doctor to record their hours and breaks or, or any, they were called exception reports to do that in about 17 seconds and it was uh, it was free it was a web app so anyone could could use it uh, regardless of the type of phone that they were using and we had thousands of doctors using it across 74 different hospitals in the UK and that was the first kind of iteration of of the company and it was it was what we made and um, we knew though that we didn't want to charge ever clinicians and, and healthcare workers for the tools that they needed to do their job you know it wasn't our ethos and so when it came to commercializing it we 
had to then go to the employers of those people and say, hey, guys, you know, you've got this very cumbersome process uh, at the moment that allows people to record they're doing unpaid overtime. Well, we've got a system that makes it very easy for them all to record their unpaid overtime. Would you like to buy it from us? Unsurprisingly, they all said no, which was uh, it was a very good lesson in my own naivety. It was it was painful because we'd made a really cool app and um, we'd gotten good feedback from it, but we couldn't commercialize it. We, we also tried a couple of different unions that represent doctors and they didn't feel able to take it forward. So um, we then had to have a bit of a, a pivot, as they say, in the startup world. Um, and that was obviously, you know, that was hard because a lot of work had gone into it, a lot of time meeting with doctors with um, guardians of safe working with educational supervisors with um, people in uh, in the unions and it was all good uh, good learning but yeah we had to abandon it and and move into into a different into a different product so that the we then sort of said oh well you know we need to make a product that people want to buy and so we had someone who was the CCIO of a uh, London hospital trust who came and said well, we have this problem. Doctors are using WhatsApp to uh, message each other. uh, And they're sometimes putting uh, information on there that we wouldn't want them to share. So at the moment, typically, if if you are a junior doctor and you want to get hold of your uh, registrar or consultant, you'll have to use a pager to page them Uh, using a landline phone. They'll then stop what they're doing and call you up. You know, it's a ridiculous system. Um, And then they'll have to, if you want them to review an image or something, they'll have to then log into a computer and access uh, that imaging. And so people had been sharing kind of x-rays um, and doing their best to kind of blur out the patient identifiable information, but just sort of saying, hey, what's this funny shadow? Or what do you think I should do about X, Y, Z or Mrs. whatever her name is in bed 14? Um, and so uh, the CCI had said, you know, obviously this is an information governance risk, even though WhatsApp is, is end-to-end encrypted. Could you create for us a, a secure messaging app? that kept the data entirely within the the hospital's uh, ownership. And so we, uh, because uh, I'm incredibly (laughs) jammy to have found uh, my co-founder, Artem, who is, uh, you know, this sort of traveling scholar, super bright software engineer, he said, yes, we can do that. We'll use the open source encryption protocol that we then went on to use. And so we built an app-based uh, secure clinical messenger. We then went to sell that to the hospital that had asked us to build it. And they said, ah, we're really sorry. We actually don't have the budget for this anymore. And uh, and in the interim, a lot of people had launched similar products and really that had been their entire focus. And so they, you know, they'd done a nice job. Um, and we decided it wasn't really what we wanted to what we wanted to do because I think also we were really interested in inefficient workflows and paging is an inefficient workflow, but there was other stuff that we thought we could help more in. And so um, we went back to the drawing board for a second time, which was again extremely painful. Um, and, uh, and we ended up we talked to very very many health employers this time, did a proper analysis of where were they wasting their candidates or their clinicians time uh, and also what was costing them money and and sort of giving them a headache and we we found consistently this problem of it's known as credentialing in the in the US which is part of the reason we're called credentially but really getting someone a doctor nurse care worker that's interested to work for you from maybe clicking on a job ad or thinking yeah maybe I'd work for these guys to actually having everything that you need for them to be on the wards and, and treating patients and then keeping that person safe and compliant with your, your obligations to the CQC. And so that's how we ended up building uh, credentially one by one, adding the, the features that were required to do that. You know, everything from uh, doing an automated lookup on 
a GMC or the NMC or you know, whichever professional database that you're on, getting you to submit documents and scanning those documents for you, auto-completing that application for you, gathering references, doing uh, onboarding training, occupational health, uh, e-signing documents, uh, you know, really anything that might be involved in a paper-based uh, recruitment process, just making it so that people could have that with a beautiful branded experience from their smartphone uh, and do it in a few minutes rather than a few hours. Um, and, and we found, I mean, from my own experience as a, a doctor or a nurse um, or a care worker, you, it's not like you have to sort of look around to find people that will employ you. You know, there's usually far more roles than there are people to fill those roles. And if you're looking to to take additional work on, which is, you know, the system relies on people doing additional work over their, you know, whatever hours a week they're doing, you have a lot of options. And so I remember when I was looking to take on locum work um, whilst I was doing my uh, foundation training just for you know an extra couple of hours here or there I wasn't trying to join one agency I think I signed up to three and I ended up working with the one that was able to get me through that process really quickly um, and so handling that the process of sign up verification onboarding and uh, clinical compliance is, is a critical activity particularly for anyone that is either experiencing a high turnover which is you know most health employers um, or needing to grow their numbers rapidly uh, and so that's how we ended up with with credentially after a you know a painful painful period of uh, of iteration so what would your colleagues be surprised to know about you we have a fairly forthright culture in our organization i think partially it's been really nice working with uh, artem who's who's belarusian and and you know russian speakers in our team who i think culturally are a lot more direct which initially was very painful for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I just felt like, yeah, I was like, oh, God, these people. Oh, okay. but, um, but actually, it's a really efficient way of communicating. So uh, <laughs> it seems like I was able to sort of stop crying and, uh, <laughs> and toughen up. Um, uh, it was really useful. So we, we have a fairly sort of frank and, um, and open uh, organization. Um, but I think uh, the things that my team would be, so, we, so, you know, we, we talk about what we do outside of work. We talk about our pets. Um, we talk about, yeah, our holidays, things like that. I don't know if I have anything that would be too surprising. I really enjoy stand up comedy. And, um, recently someone bought me as a very unexpected gift, a, um, a course to, to write uh, comedy, which I'm hopeless at, but I really enjoyed. Um, and so, yeah, maybe, maybe that, I don't know. I've talked about that a great deal. My, I bought my husband. It was like a like a stand up comedy course. That's awesome. Yeah, I think you have to have some like natural talent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, you should be right into that company. That was uh, <laughs> that's exactly the sort of thing that get, that gets said to me. Uh, what a burn! <laughs> listening to this. Um, last question: What is the biggest lesson you have learned about yourself so far when running this business? I think just that there's some things that I'm very bad at and that it's fine for that to be the case as long as you're open about it and you recruit people who are excellent at those things. I think when I was starting to an extent, I tried to take on myself the responsibility to do everything and to know how everything worked, excluding the development, which I'm, you know, have no aptitude in whatsoever. But um, it's been really, it, you know, it's very much a team sport and it's more fun when, when approached that way. And so knowing that there's just some things I'm terrible at and some things that I you know, have a natural inclination for and my time is best spent on doing the things to which I'm naturally inclined and then getting really great 
people on the team to to do the things that I'm terrible at. Where can people find out more about Credentially? Oh, so um, you can find us at uh, credentially.io. So credentially is the word credential with L-Y on the end, .io, um, which we went for the .io domain because, well, the, the reasons we say is because that's what cool tech companies do. They go for .io domains because it's like binary. It's like one zero. The actual reason is because .com domains now are increasingly difficult to get hold of. Okay. And uh, <laughs> um, we we went with the uh, with the IO, uh, so you can find us there. Um, also, you can find me and Dr. Kit JL on Twitter, um, and uh, yeah, we're we're also on LinkedIn for the uh, the people who enjoy business based social networking. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been really great. So um, yeah, I uh, look forward to talking to you again. so much for joining us and if you like what you hear it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media you can find me on twitter at thc primary care on instagram again at thc primary care or on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you really like it it would be great if you left us an itunes a five-star rating and review and i will see you in the next episode (laughs) 